Good morning. Welcome again to Peninsula Bible Church. My name is Scott Grant, and uh, I'll be bringing the word to you this morning. I met someone new who's here for the first time, Yvonne. Yvonne's from Australia, and uh, just uh, is here. This is her first Sunday. Wave to everybody, Yvonne. Just make her feel welcome. And uh, she's new. I'm not new. I've been here a long time. Uh, so long, in fact, that I'm about to take my third sabbatical, I think. No, I think it's my fourth sabbatical. And so uh, you won't see me in um, the next two months. I'm going to Camp PBC, and after that, I'm going to make myself scarce. So you won't see me until October, so I'll see you then. I'm uh, looking forward to doing some few th- I don't feel like I need one. I'm pretty alive, I think. I don't, I'm not tired at all. But the elders grant us pastor sabbaticals every seven years, so I'm going to take one. And uh, I'm going to study a little, read a little, fish a little, golf a little, spend some time with my family. We're going to go on a trip or two, so I'm looking forward to that. But I'm going to miss all of you, but I'll see you in October. So uh, we're talking about patience today, and you're going to have a chance at the end of the service to answer the question, how is God teaching you patience? So that's the time we call life together. We're going to save a few minutes at the end, so you'll be able to come up and think about that. How is God teaching you patience? So Alex de Tocqueville, the French political theorist, observed everything that was happening in America back in 1835, and here's one of his observations. It is strange to see what feverish ardor the Americans pursue their own welfare and to watch the vague dread that constantly torments them, lest they should not have chosen the shortest path which may lead to it. That's way back in 1835. In other words, he's saying he's observing everything that's going on in America and Americans are obsessed with their own fulfillment, but uh, it's it's, it's like they can't wait for it. And this vague dread comes over them if they're not able to do things as quickly as they would like. In other words, Americans back then were worshiping efficiency. Now, I wonder what de Tocqueville would say if he were alive in the digital age about what's going on. I wondered what he would say about the Silicon Valley if he was alive here today and what kind of observations he would make. Things have gotten increasingly faster, but have we gotten any more patient? I don't know about that. So how do you feel about waiting on hold? Um, How do you feel when the internet is really, really slow? Some of you can remember when we didn't have the internet. How do you feel about waiting in a long line for fast food? How do you feel about getting stuck behind a driver who has the temerity to go the speed limit? Maybe we could use a little more patience. In answer to all those questions, I say, I hate it. I hate all that waiting. I want things to go quickly. Then again, consider Jesus. If you know the Gospels at all, consider what you see of Jesus in the Gospels. He uh, had to undertake the most important tasks in history, and he had a limited time to do them. But does he ever strike you as someone who is ever in a hurry? He's got three years or so. This stuff is important. 
He's got these 12 disciples. He's got to, he's got to train them. How is he going to do that? Oh, we, let's get to it. Let's get, we got to, we got to, here, here, this, here's this curriculum, man. We got to just get this, get this all. No, he's just very relaxed about things. He takes things slowly. So that's Jesus. Now we're looking at patience today. Patience uh, is a virtue. That's what people say. Patience is a virtue. But how many of us would consider that patience is one of our virtues? Patience also is a fruit of the spirit. And so we learn patience as we learn to walk by the spirit. That is, as we learn to open up to the work that the spirit is doing in our lives so that we can bear the fruit of patience. Well, let's look at our theme verses for the summer. Galatians chapter five, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So those are our theme verses. And we're looking at patience. Patience being a fruit of the spirit. Now, the first thing to say about patience is that God is patient with us right? God is patient with us. And one of the ways that you know that God is patient with you is that you're still alive. Because if you look at the scriptures and if you understand the truth of what the scriptures teach about God's holiness and our sinfulness, we understand that none of us really deserves to be alive. And this is what the writer of Lamentations says in Lamentations 3.39. Essentially this, it's probably Jeremiah, and he's lamenting all over the place, but he's saying basically, in view of our sins, how does anyone actually have a right to complain? And he complains, he laments, but he actually sort of acknowledges when you really think about it, we really don't deserve to be able to even have the right to complain. And yet God invites us to lament. So we're still here. God is patient with us. Now, I read this quote from Eugene Peterson a few weeks ago, and I'm going to double down on it. This is the first part of the quote. Every time I move to a new community, I find a church close by and join it, committing myself to worship and work in that company of God's people. I've never been anything other than disappointed. Everyone turns out to be biblical through and through. Murmurers, complainers, the faithless, the inconstant, those plagued with doubt and riddled with sin, Boring moralizers, glamorous secularizers. Now, question, do you find yourself on that list? No, I do. And uh, I know some of you are on that list because as a pastor of the church, every once in a while I listen to some of the murmuring, some of the complaining. Man, that's, that's okay, that happens in a church. Everyone's got opinions about how the church should go and what the music should be like and what the sermon should be like and what kind of groups and ministries and, and all of that. So that's fine. We're gonna listen to all of that and we're gonna try to trust the Lord and do the best we can. But um, most churches are filled with this and uh, I find myself on this list. Now, if you don't find yourself on the list, what you need to do is you want to listen to someone who's inspired, someone who is inspired by the Holy Spirit to write and preach the word of God, that being the apostle Paul. Now, in Romans chapter 3, he composes this amazing and brilliant poem from bits and pieces of the Psalms and Isaiah to demonstrate that all of us really are guilty before God, that all of us before God deserve to be punished, deserve hell, to be killed. We, we just don't, we don't deserve anything sort of before God. And therefore, he shows 
We need Christ. And it's only, that, it's only because of Christ then that we can stand before God, clean and pure and holy. So here's the first part of the poem. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. None, not one, no one, no one, all, no one, not even one. Nevertheless, we are still here. We're still here. And Paul gets very personal about this because he understands himself as the foremost of sinners. And he understands that God has been incredibly patient with him. Listen to what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So Paul sees himself as an example of God's patience so that all of us could turn to Jesus Christ. And if you haven't done that yet for the first time, I urge that upon you. Turn to Jesus. None is righteous. No, not one. Don't even try to be righteous before God. That in itself is sinful. Accept God's love for you in Jesus Christ and his forgiveness. So Paul sees himself as an example. God is patient with us. That's the first thing to be said about the fruit of the Spirit consisting of patience. God is patient with us. So as a result of that, what do we do? We are patient with him. If we understand God's patient with us, we then can be motivated to be patient with him. So wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Whatever you're going through, whatever troubles you have, whatever you would like to see happen in your life, in the world, wait for the Lord. Now, this is not a passive waiting. This is an active application of mind and heart as we wait for the Lord. Now, I would submit to you that God is always acting, mostly in ways that we don't notice. But every once in a while, he does act in a way that catches our attention especially perhaps as we wait, as we pray, as we're looking for answers, sometimes God breaks through in the middle of time and answers our prayers or does something to, to catch our attention and say, oh, that's the work of the Lord. The Lord is acting in my life, in this world. I can see it. We wait for the Lord to do that. And sometimes he does. This was David's experience in Psalm chapter 40, verses one and two. I waited patiently for the Lord he inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Perhaps many of you can look back and say, yes, the Lord's done something like that for me. I waited for the Lord and he rescued me. He rescued me from the miry bog, so to speak. And he set my feet upon a rock, maybe not instantaneously, but maybe over time. And maybe you can even from the vantage point of today, look back at a certain point of your life and say, I was not doing good. 
And now I'm in a better place, perhaps. The Lord acts in time. Now, also, we know from the scriptures that he will act in a final way. When Christ comes back, and then we're going to get new bodies, and then there's going to be a new creation, a new and eternal bodies and a new and eternal creation. That's going to happen for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, those of us who follow him. So Paul says this in Romans 8, 23 talking about creation waiting, and not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, that's we have the Spirit as believers, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So Paul here is talking about new bodies, new physical bodies that are suited to the new and eternal age, and we're gonna get those. And Peter says this, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13, but according to his promise, that is God's promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. Boy, I think about it oftentimes, that oftentimes. We're looking for a world and waiting for a world in which righteousness dwells, in which righteousness makes its home in the creation. And indeed, we're waiting for that. So we know how the story ends. You spend a little time in the scriptures, you spend a little time in church, you spend a little time listening to sermons that come from the scriptures, and you know how the story ends, that the story has a good ending. We, 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 we tend to preach here from the Old Testament and the New Testament here, Genesis to Revelation, and you pretty much should get the sense, if you've been here a while, that the story of the scriptures, that the story of humanity, that the story of creation has a good ending, and more to the point, your story has a good ending. No matter what you're going through, no matter how troubled the times, your story has a good ending. And the ending is worth waiting for. David says in Psalm 27, verse 14, wait for the Lord. Let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. You can, as you wait for the Lord, you can, you're, you can take courage, take heart, wait for the Lord. James puts it this way. James chapter five, seven and eight. Be patient, Therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So we wait for the Lord in small ways and ultimately in the big way. Now, is there a reward for waiting for the Lord in the middle of time? Sometimes he acts in time, sometimes, and we know that he's gonna act at the end of time in which time is gonna begin again in a whole new way. But is there a reward, a reward for us as we wait? Indeed, there is. Look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, a famous verse. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. What's the reward right now as you wait for the Lord? Do you see it? It's strength. It's spiritual strength. 
What are you doing as you are waiting? What are you doing as you are praying? You are exercising spiritual muscles. You actually are becoming stronger. The Lord is making you stronger spiritually as you wait for him to act. Pretty cool. Rewards all over the place. The big reward, of course, is at the end when Christ comes back. But to be strengthened spiritually in the middle of the story, that is a pretty cool reward. I was teaching a group of uh, people who are training for ministry a few weeks ago. And uh, after I taught, there was this Q&A sec- uh, session. And then one of them made this comment uh, about what he saw in me. Now, it's interesting when you think about it, because do you really know how you come across? I was thinking about this. I really don't know how I come across. You inhabit your own mind and your own skin and you're living and you're breathing, you're talking and there's body language and all this kind of stuff. And you really are not really aware of how you come across unless it's reflected back to you, unless someone says what they see in you. So I was teaching this particular group and in the Q&A session, this one individual said to me, and he was asking why, but he said, you seem to be a very encouraged person. You seem to be a very encouraged person. Now, my answer was this. Well, you know, if that's true, I don't really know how I come across, but if that's true, I know that part of the reason for that is this. I know how the story ends. And I have steeped myself in the scriptures for decades. I've studied the scriptures. I've studied the stories. I've studied the big story. I've studied it, I've preached it, I've, I've, tried to, I've tried to live it. And I think maybe doing all that for all these years has had some kind of effect so that I know where the story is going. I know where everything is going. So the scriptures, the biblical story encourages me. I think that's part of the reason if I come across as a, an encouraged person. So God is patient with us. Then we wait for the Lord. Is there anything else to say about the fruit of patience? Indeed, there is. We can be patient with others. Indeed, if God is patient with us, shouldn't that then motivate us to be patient with others? Look at 1 Corinthians 13, 4, this famous chapter. Paul simply says this, love is patient. Now, when we read about all the fruit of the Spirit just um, a few moments ago, and the first fruit is love. Now, as I said a few weeks ago, this, this list, uh, the fruits of the Spirit, is certain, has a certain random feel to it. Nevertheless, love is the first one, and love occupies pride of place, and every other, every other fruit of the Spirit can be seen as an extension of love. So here, Paul confirms that. He simply says, Love is patient. So if you love someone, what do you do? You are patient with that person. Then Paul says this, Ephesians chapter four. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, with 
patience bearing with one another. Therefore, be patient with others. God has been patient with you. Be patient with others. There's this uh, story about Abraham, and it's just a story, it's a fable. But as many good fables do, it teaches a truth. So listen to this. This is an old Hebrew fable about Abraham. Abraham was sitting outside his tent one evening when he saw an old man, weary from age and journey, coming toward him. Abraham rushed out, greeted him, and then invited him into his tent. There he washed the old man's feet and gave him food and drink. Very hospitable. The old man immediately began eating without saying any prayer or blessing. So Abraham asked him, don't you worship God? The old traveler replied, I worship fire only and reverence no other God. When he heard this, Abraham became incensed, grabbed the old man by the shoulders and threw him out of his tent into the cold night air. When the old man had departed, God called to his friend Abraham and asked where the stranger was. Abraham replied, I forced him out because he did not worship you. God answered, I have suffered him these 80 years, although he dishonors me. Could you not endure him one night? If you meet someone who is alive and not dead, there is a very, very, very good chance that God has not yet given up on that person. Maybe you shouldn't give up on that person either. Jesus was patient with his disciples, wasn't he? He called these 12 men. That was one of his tasks to train up these 12 men and they were going to go make disciples and hopefully that was going to change everything. But they didn't seem to be getting it, did they? Things didn't seem to be going well very often. In fact, toward the end, Jesus told them in the gospel of Mark three times, I'm going to be killed and I'm going to rise from the dead. Three times, I'm going to be killed and I'm going to rise from the dead. They didn't get it. They didn't understand it. In fact, the third time that he said that, in the very next verse, we read that two of his disciples came to him and said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Huh? I'm going to be killed. I'm going to rise from the dead. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. And when Jesus was crucified, they were shocked. When he rose from the dead, they were shocked. Point. Jesus was patient them. And it can be argued that because Jesus was patient with them, that we're the result of that. Because Jesus was patient with them, and indeed, they went out and they preached the gospel. The Spirit came upon them. They made disciples. Those disciples made disciples, and so on, and so on, and so on, until here we are today. Jesus was patient with them. You think maybe you could be patient with that guy who's really bothering you. And what kind of effect could it have in someone's life? It has this powerful effect in the lives of these disciples. What effect do you think your patience with someone else can have on that person? And if you're patient with that person, maybe that person then becomes patient with someone else and so on and so on 
and so on. Uh, a few years ago, oftentimes I would hear around here at PBC, people would come up to me and say, I don't hear it so much anymore, but they would come up to me and say, you've grown. You've grown as a pastor. You've grown as a preacher, which was very encouraging for the most part, unless they used the word so, as in you have grown so much, which made me think, well, how bad was it? (laughs) But uh, I hope that's true. I hope it's true that I've grown. But in reality, I got a rough start here as a pastor. It took me a long way to find my way. Not that I have necessarily found my way now. I have a better idea of what I'm doing now than I did when I started. But back in the beginning, especially, and for the first few years, the elders at Peninsula Bible Church were patient with me. And I think it had an effect in my life. And maybe if if I become a more effective pastor, if I become a more effective preacher, it's had an effect on your life as well. Be patient with others. So first of all, God is patient with us. Therefore, in response, we can wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. And number two, we can be patient with others. So I'm going to give you a little assignment in conclusion. It concerns driving. One day this week, pick a day, any day, if you drive, and commit to going the speed limit. Just one day, okay? I'm not asking for a lot, but see what that does for you or does to you. See how you respond. See what happens in your heart. And if you get maybe just a little bit frustrated, say to yourself, be still, my soul. So pick a day, any day. You can pick this day. You can pick Sunday. And be forewarned if you pick Sunday, if you pick today, The speed limit, a middle field road, 25 miles an hour. (laughs) If we walk by the Spirit, perhaps it is also possible to drive by the Spirit. Would you please pray with me? Uh, Father, whatever we are going through, your promise still stands. Let us remember that. Great is your faithfulness. Your promise still stands stands. In the midst of all of this, this day, Lord, the word has come to us. This day, teach us patience. Teach us to wait for you. Teach us to be patient with each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my call.